what what belt have we worked our way up to? I'm brown belt. Uh, I've been brown for two years now, so it's like the closest, uh, basically possible to black. And then okay. uh, I'll probably get that next year, which would be really cool. But I'm also in no hurry. Yeah. I, <laughs> why? What's the hurry for? Yeah, the second I'm, I'm going to try. I'm, I have a competition I signed up for last night uh, in a month and a half, uh, which is at brown belt, obviously. And so when I have to start competing against black belts, I've done it a couple of times, but it just like changes the game. So I'll, I'll take the brown a little bit longer if I can. Do you normally do competitions? Uh, I do them on occasion. Yeah, yeah. So I'll, at least like once a year. Yeah. Oh, good deal. Russ, when are you going to catch up, dude? Uh, well, I believe last time we talked on this show, I told you I wanted to try an audition for APW All Pro Wrestling, and you called me a fat guy with no motivation. So I think and, and old, <laughs> and old. <laughs> yeah. So I think the elements are against me there. Yeah, man. I'm just looking out for your health. That's it. But, <laughs> so Riley, first of all, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. We know you're on the whole press junket. And I know it's exhausting, so we appreciate you carving a little bit of time for us, man. Oh, of course. No, I'm happy to be here. I love the movie, so I'm just trying to make sure that I talk to anybody who who wants to. It's 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 all for the good of the film. Well, you've you've been on our radar for a long time, man, and we were so excited when this all came together because, you know, um, you know, you were you were on our list of like people that we we want to reach out to. And I'm glad we, we got this done, especially because Russell and I typically are recording in the same room. Um, I'm unfortunately here in uh, the godforsaken uh, city of Phoenix, Arizona for work. <laughs> so we're just making everything happen today. But I love so, it. Happy to be here. So, so, all right. So we'll, we'll kick it off like this. So Riley, like I said, I'm here in Phoenix and my day job is, um, I'm a training manager for a startup company. Let's just call it that. And, um, yesterday was a pretty rough day. All right. A lot of emotions were going on. And so today I wanted to kind of, you know, have a nice reset because I wasn't really sure what, how the team was going to be. So my icebreaker today was uh, also decided to do a little bit double dipping because it, it's been a few years since I have seen your short film, The Cub. So that is what my trading class watched this morning as a um, team building exercise. I love it. Probably threw it into chaos. <laughs> it, it got a nice little heated discussion going on. It was a oh, good way to, it, it was a good way to start the day. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I, I think we had five, six people in there so far today. And um, I'll tell you, half of them were, were parents. And um, more than not, especially with the parents, they kind of thought it was a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I like these parents. Yeah, to to loan your your child out to a pack of wolves, but you know that's a short that um, you know I had I saw faults first, and then we saw the I saw the cub later. Um, but man, what a great short! And uh, man, they, yeah, it, it really started a, a nice heated discussion today. I love it. Thank you. Yeah, that that short I am still very proud of, and I think if you look at Duel and and the cub. Uh, back to back, you can definitely tell they were made by the same person. I, if anything, faults was the the feature that I made right after that was the one where I had to kind of back off a little bit uh, just to get it made. And then the art of self defense, I got to kind of go back into uh, a little bit more stylized mode and back at that again with the with duel. And I, look, if, please forgive me, Riley. I have to ask the obligatory question, but um, what what did you shoot the cub with? The, we shot film? the cub on that was super 16 and um okay. it was it was easy obviously at that point uh i mean that was 2012 when i shot that so it wasn't that that's all that you could get was film there were multiple ways that we could have gone but um i did a kickstarter and asked for three thousand dollars because i had already spent on a previous short some of my own money and i didn't want to have to do that again if i could avoid it and uh, i figured out some cool rewards and and got a small community to to donate and and then ended up getting five instead of three. So the extra two, we basically were like, I think we can do this on film uh, and kind of just ran with that. And I'm glad that we did. There are other people like <laughs> you look at YouTube comments of that short now and they're like, God, they spent five grand on this. I could have done this on my iPhone. It would have been so much better too. And like, like they didn't even move the fucking camera. Like, <laughs> like it's just everyone yeah. wants to complain about everything, but I'm very, very happy with the way that one turned out. 
Yeah. Um, but also, like, you know, you kind of set the tone um, with the cub because you talked about the connection with you can tell that the person that made the cub made your new film duel. Um, and, but also, like, in all your films, you've kind of got this um, very particular way of with your actors delivering lines. So what did that sort of come from of, you know, um, how you sort of reached that sort of aesthetic? Yeah, I I think that in in recent um, years, I've been able to describe it a little bit more, uh, a little bit more eloquently. I think initially I probably was just like, I just like the way that it sounds. But I think that the reason I like the way that it sounds uh, it, it gets more to the heart of the issue, which is that if you're creating a world and in these worlds, things happen that wouldn't happen in our world, having characters speak to each other like normal feels like it's almost like doing a disservice to the world that you're building. So I would rather like with dual, for example, people who talk to each other this way are also the people who they vote into law that a duel to the death will take place if your clone doesn't want to be decommissioned. And then that world is a world where people would talk this way. And so it all like informs everything else. I would say that the dialogue and the, uh, the affectation, or I guess the, the emotional disconnect from the way that people deliver their lines is fully in support of a world and it may not be for everyone. And some people may actually be very turned off by that, but a lot of people who would be turned off by that are also not into the movie itself. So it's not really, it's not something that I'm concerned about. It's something that I actually, if anything, have been leaning into more and more. So is that something that, you know, naturally one would make the assumption that you, you can figure that out in the audition process or even in the script actors kind of have an idea of this sort of affectation you're going for? The script, I think, pretty much reads like there's not a lot of ways to go about that. I think that the dialogue is pretty obviously going to have a form of delivery along these lines. It's just like it ends up being how much do I want that to be in place? And so with uh, Karen, for example, she came in and had already seen faults in the art of self-defense, which is a great scenario I'm in now because people can go back and watch the stuff that I've done before and at least have an informed idea of where I'm going to be going. But she also was like, are we doing faults or are we doing like self-defense? And weirdly, I think that they they were somewhere in the middle. I, I felt like it was a little bit more grounded, but I've in since basically been told by everyone that this is even drier than self-defense. So I don't know, like, I think it's just normal for me that I, uh, that I almost don't even realize it anymore. But um, yeah. yeah, we, she, it's honest, honestly, it ends up being just a, what level do you want me to go? And uh, that trust on the actor's end is, is huge because I'm asking them to do stuff that they would probably never do, or it's a very uncomfortable sort of uh, space to be in. The di- dialogue itself can be very challenging at times because it's so, like parenthetically based, you kind of talk about something and then you go back to another thing and then you go back to the first thing and you're, uh, it's not necessarily easy, but it's, it's really fun to write. And I'm glad that I get to work with people who are so talented that they can take that and really run with it. Yeah. Because yeah, art of self-defense and dual completely different films. Yeah, very much so. And I'm glad that you said that. Yeah, totally. Well, uh, and also, Russ, you know, get in here. You you would agree with me, right? That, you know, even though, I mean, yeah, I'd say that Duel is, is drier, but, um, I mean, and certainly I would even say Art of Self-Defense is a, a black comedy, um, and we certainly get that with Duel, um, but yeah, very different films. I don't know. You know, Riley, I had a, a different journey here. I was introduced to you through bullying. <laughs> Everybody around me. Because when, when Art of Self-Defense came out, I was like, I don't know, man. This looks kind of like an Austin offbeat kind of like quirky drama. And I was like, I don't know if I'm going to be into that. And we had our buddy out here. Uh, well, let's provide, let's provide Riley with a little bit of background. So, Riley, Russell <laughs> is Mr. Contrarian USA. He cool. hates... He hates comedies. Now, I've tried to do my best, and I myself am a recovering stand-up. So I've, you know, it's something near and dear to my heart. So I, I try to bring him into the fold. But this is a very jaded horror fan you're talking to here. It is true. Awesome. I am one of the uh, anti-elevated horror kind of guys. Like, I'm very yeah. bad. And our buddy uh, was over. I think we were doing like an, an all-night marathon of movies. And 
uh, Robbie Smith threw on Cub and he was like, dude, you're, you're wrong. You need to watch Cub. And, you know, Cubs turned into a short film that, you know, we prove that we're the cool guys by putting on for people. And I was like, all right, I'll check out Artist Self-Defense. And, um, dude, I was blown away by not only the clear, you have like uh, an auteur voice, like it's so clearly you. And I mean, not only in like dialogue, because you're crafting a kind of like modern world that is like another reality, kind of like her where or like it follows where it's like. I don't know when we're supposed to be happening, but like, it's not now, or maybe it is. And it's always so revealing, like the way we interact with each other when you're kind of like free of uh, a time frame. And with, you know, the artist self-defense, I love the way that you crafted that dojo. Like there's a beam in uh, the middle of that floor that would obscure <laughs> the camera in a way that I've thought about ever since I watched it because it, it almost seemed like counter to like mise-en-scene. It's like, no, we're going to put that beam here and it's going to be in the way and you're going to think about it. But like, <laughs> like, I don't know, dude, you have such a unique voice that when I, when I jumped into a duel, it felt like you through and through. Thank and I you. Only, I, f- I felt like both movies are happening in the same world. So yeah, they're, they're in the same like space, but I think of them in different ways. Like they're trying to achieve different things. There's, I think more, even though both are very dark, I think that there's more uh, of an entertainment value to something like self-defense. I think it also obviously ends with a pretty like positive ending. Uh, but I, I think you're right though, that they could be in the same sort of pseudo world. Uh, I really touching really quick on that beam. We found, I found that location and uh, it was next door. I was, I, I'd gone driving around Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky, where we were shooting and found this spot. And I was like, maybe we could use this for something for the dojo. It wasn't going to work. It was just like trashed uh, once we got in. But then we went next door and I was like, well, this kind of could look like the veterinary's office, veterinarian's office. And then once we got, we were able to get keys to go inside. And I was like, wait, if we tore down walls, we could make the dojo here. And then there's also the the garage in the back where the motorcycles could be. And there's the locker room space and all this stuff. Um, but that beam was fully just like load bearing. We're never getting that thing out of there. And so we just decided to embrace it and say, that thing's going in the middle of the fucking mats. Well, I mean, that beam could be kind of a mascot for your films. Because, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it's like you craft this perfect, beautiful Hollywood uh, reality. Yet the films are all about like tackling the quirky, imperfect nature. And it's, it's you know, beauty is in the imperfections. And I thoroughly believe that. And that beam, dude, I think about that beam more than anything else from that film. You're the first person who's ever mentioned. I love this. I, said, I people are dumb. Now, well, <laughs> also, you know, um, I I haven't seen Clark since he's been in Arizona, and we haven't talked about your film. I don't know if I expressed it, but I uh, I fucking love Duel. I think it it's gonna probably be my favorite of the year. And I know do you like it. Do you like it more than the last Duel? Because I know you were a big fan oh. on that one, Russ. I was, uh, dude. It crushes the last Duel. Okay, oh, good man. No, yes, no, right. Riley. Fuck you, Ridley. You heard it here. <laughs> no, Riley. Okay, I'm. Uh, I have to uh, flatter you a little bit, dude. We so we just got out. Uh, what last week we talked about everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, mm-hmm. And we we fell into a conversation of like art and commerce, and like that's the real struggle when you have a like wide theatrical release. And ultimately, at the end of the day, I didn't love everything because I felt like it was a little too uh, cute. And I chalk that up to like commerce, the commerce end, like just getting families and, you know, like kind of like basic bitch film people in there. And I'm like, I get it, but I, I like it when they're a little more edgy with the art. And when I saw your film, I'm like, man, you nailed it. Uh, I get a lot of I get a lot of slack for bringing up like duality with mirrors in a film. Like it's one of my favorite themes. And uh, you I think you've like you've evolved that theme. And the idea of like, like we're living in a Marvel metaverse world, right? And everything's fucking, I mean, even fucking everything was about the metaverse. And yet you like kind of slipped that in there. And I'm like, the way that you did it was profound in a way that got me originally into film, where I think I might make life changes after watching Duel. It's fucking oh, man. incredible. 
I mean, thank you very much. It's it's my favorite thing I've made and it means so much to me. It's a very personal film. And I think that there's way more going on in it uh, emotionally and in, in, in terms of humanity than I think some people are giving it credit for. But that's part of like showing your stuff to people as you know that not everyone's going to relate to it the way that you do, but that's okay. But dude, you got a lot going on here. And like I mentioned, I got into film by taking two community college courses in film theory. And I thought I figured it all out. And I'm like, dude, watching Duel. I mean, now I'm looking back at every movie that had a clone in it. And I'm kind of like, these are beautiful metaphors for a different way to live your life. Except I don't think anybody made it so succinct like you did. It's fucking like by the end of the movie. I'm, and again, I'm not going to spoil anything. But me and Oksana, who's here in the room with us, uh, I think she was pretty bummed out by the ending. And I had to argue it saying, uh, actually, it's not bummy. It, it's not bleak in the way you think it is. But it is kind of sad. <laughs> yeah, I laugh. That The ending always makes me laugh. Uh, it just shows where my personality's at, though. I when When you see... And I guess we won't talk about the the spoilers of it, but like when you see where it ends up, I can't help but just find the humor in that situation. And I'm sure. I I think that there are people who agree, but I also think that it's deliberately it goes down this path. And I, I know that people wanted another thing to happen, and I just never felt like that was. Uh, true to the film. So I, I, I like that you like that ending and I know that it's going to be hard for some people too. Uh, but I think it's the only way that the film could have ended. Well, dude, people want a different ending, but I mean, in real life, we're in that situation probably multiple times in, in our, uh, you know, shared time here on earth and we don't get the other ending and you know, you look at it and you're kind of like, it's only our fault. (laughs) So yeah. I don't know. I dude, it's a, a fantastic film. Thank you. Agreed. Thank and you very and much. what I want to say is um is that Riley, I again I want to congratulate you on this because um now I'll stay away from the ending. Just the 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 entire film had a constant I had a constant feel of melancholy. Um <laughs> And I want to commend you on that because I am heavily medicated on SSRIs. So you've done a great job of making me feel, which is Good. something that, you know, <laughs> these drugs are, you know, cutting off. So you, you are better than prescription drugs, Riley. So I'll just say that. People keep telling me this. It's a, a thing that I've heard my whole life. <laughs> Man, I mean, so, you know, we were talking about commerce and art. And uh, you found like a perfect medium here. Like, I don't know how many times uh, I've been playing like a tabletop game or like video games with people. And the whole clone debate comes up where it's like, yeah, if you meet a clone, you know, you have to fight to the death. I don't know how that became like popular, like zeitgeist. I don't know where that came from, but I also don't understand how nobody made a movie until now. I mean, I don't know that I've really heard that before. I, I think that I've been asked that question more because of Duel Now. Like, if you had to fight your clone to the death, like, how would how would you win? And I don't know that that was a part of my sort of zeitgeist, like you said. Like, yeah, so which is so interesting to hear you say that. But I agree. Like, I think it's a pretty <laughs> overt, like, oh, I'm surprised nobody has ever gone down this exact path before. So I'm glad they didn't. Yeah, I mean, I did uh, preface that by saying over tabletop games, so maybe I'm just a nerd in, uh, in <laughs> rolling dice. But yet, it would come up all the time. Like, mm. I mean, it's one of those dumb conversations when you get into like uh, time machine theory and stuff, and running into another you. It's like, well, you have to fight because you, and it's, but I never understood why. And you kind of, <laughs> without even having that conversation, made a movie perfectly explaining it. Yeah, thanks. I mean, uh, a friend of mine, now that you mentioned it, a friend of mine wrote something that I hope gets made at some point uh, where there's a time thing, time machine thing, and a, two people have to fight, like uh, uh, two versions of the same person. And he's going pretty big with his fight. But I think in like, uh, what's that Paul Rudd show, uh, Living With Yourself? I wrote... Yeah. Yeah, the clone thing. He has a big fight sequence with himself and and they really went for it. And ours is like more the prep for this fight. Like what what how does that uh influence your life? What decisions do you make based on that inevitability and and all of that? But I I, I remember when that came out in 2018 being or, or maybe it was 19 
whenever it was, I remember being like, God damn it. I'm, I've got this script. <laughs> like this is a little similar. And then I saw it and I was, Oh, I was totally fine. But, um, yeah, I'm surprised you didn't. Yeah. I, it was on Netflix. So maybe that, that also happens where things end up on Netflix and nobody sees them because there's so much shit there. I'm bad with TV too. Everybody will yeah. attest to that. I'm kind of um, bad with TV too. Yeah. It's too much of a commitment. <laughs> I can't do There's a lot. I like movies. Yeah. 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 I like oh a God, succinct story. Now, who, who are some major influences for you? Because I was thinking about this on the right here, and I, I came up with like Douglas Sirk and Yorgos Lanthimos, and I'm like, that can't be right. Douglas well, Sirk is your go-to answer for everything, just well, for the record. When we're dealing about like, uh, like false reality in film, he's the king of it. Sure. And I, you know, um, I, I get a lot of that from Riley. So, uh, surprisingly, I'm not a cinephile. Uh, I think I'm probably one of the dumbest people when it comes to movie knowledge uh, out of directors and peers. Uh, but I totally own it. And I, I do not know uh, the, the Douglas Sirk. Why am I? Like, was there, is there a movie that I would know that I'm just blanking on? No. No. And uh, Clark's right. It, it's an easy deep cut to bring up, too, and be like, oh, Douglas Sirk. No, basically, he had a famous scene in a movie called Imitation of Life, where it's a hyper Hollywood film, except there's a reveal at the end where uh, sh- this lady's in a cabin with her lover, and they they pull back the curtains, and there's this beautiful scene of what looks like a mall, like uh, Santa set up, where there's a fake deer, and it's like, it's aggressively fake. And it's one of those things that uh, the director was panned at the time for. But later, college students learned, like, well, he got trapped in the Weepy studio and he was making drama for, like, women and he never wanted to do that. So he started, like, fighting back in his movies. That's really cool. Yeah, but whenever we we have a theme of, like, what could be regular reality and then you're kind of aggressively reminded, like, no, no, we're, we're confronting some shit here. I always go to Douglas Sirk. I'm going to do my research now. I'm going to do my due diligence. Um, yeah, Yorgos is somebody you can definitely throw in there uh, as more of a recent influence. Um, I do remember the first time I saw Dogtooth going, I'm never going to watch that again. And then eventually <laughs> yeah. eventually realized that it was one of my favorite movies. Um, but weirdly, I think I was even more influenced by uh, one of his peers. Uh, this director named Babis McCritus made a film called L, just the letter L that I saw at Sundance in 2012 uh, and it was a midnight screening of it. And it was so, it's such a slow, it's like, if you think my movies are dry, this thing is the driest thing possible. And I just dug the fuck out of it. I loved L and I remember just, it, it, it kind of like I made uh, the cub right after it. And it was just like reaffirming where I wanted to be tonally. Um, I would say that Paul Thomas Anderson is a huge, huge influence, even though on paper, we probably don't look much alike at all. Uh, But I think that Punch Drunk Love, another movie where the first time I saw it, I remember saying, I don't like this movie. And then the second time I saw it, thinking, actually, there's something here. And then third time going, this is my favorite movie of all time. And I think that there's that, it's, it's a movie that takes place in reality, but not at the same time. And I think that those types of worlds, I love, I love, okay, so... People, even when you make a movie that's grounded, it's uh, uh, supposed to be hyper-realistic, there's improv maybe, or they're just trying to get the most realistic performance out of people. I always still know I'm watching a movie. So like, I can enjoy those films, but I never forget I'm watching a movie. If I'm going to make a movie, I'd rather just like build a world and make a movie. Like, like let people do things that they wouldn't do in reality. Let's escape for a little while, even if it's an escape to something that's kind of hard to watch or scary or sad or whatever it is. I like that escape. So I lean into it and I like that Punch Drunk Love, even though it's not necessarily hyper real, it's not like, uh, um, uh, super, super stylized, you never quite feel like it's our world too. And, and I like those types of things. Um, so Paul Thomas Anderson, Hal Ashby, like being there is one of my favorite movies of, of all time. Uh, and, oh man, I look back to like stuff when I was younger, breaking away the like small town bike racing movie, uh, was one that I just absolutely loved. I love the writing of it and the like sincerity of it. And yeah, I have, I'm all over the place, but I, I think that things that influence me, uh, I mean, you can throw Wes Anderson in there too, like life aquatic. When I first saw that, it was at a very pivotal point for me where I was realizing that I did like movies. Uh, I, I actually got into movies pretty late. I was probably like 
16 when I started going and seeing more independent things. And Life Aquatic I saw in the theater and just remember being blown away. And everyone else, I think at that point, was like, I think this is a misfire from him. It's not necessarily, it's not uh, Rushmore, it's not Royal Tenenbaums, but I got more out of it than those movies. So uh, I think it just hit me at the exact right moment. Man, that's funny. I, you know, Life Aquatic, that's an offbeat humor. And I had misjudged you by thinking your films were going to be offbeat too. And I don't even think they're dry. I think your, your films are constantly funny. Like I find myself just sitting watching your characters like scroll on Instagram and I, I, it's funny. There's like a self-awareness to everything that I just, I sync up with. And I, I mean, I get the Wes Anderson not getting it, but I don't, do you, do you find a lot of people call your work dry? Uh, it's been happening recently. Like I, I definitely look at things that people say and I don't take it to heart. It's like interesting more than anything to read reviews or like letterboxed things, but I'm going to make the things I'm going to make regardless. It's just nice to sometimes see like whether they like it or not. And, um, uh, that dry, like people in some bigger reviews have been saying dry as a, as a desert or drier than dust and things like that, where I'm like, Oh, fuck, I guess I'm dry, but I don't see it that way either. So it's funny. It's just funny. And it's, it's nice to like, when you guys talk about it, I, I think that that's the audience that I am. So it's cool to hear you say these things, but then I'm also getting people saying like, uh, what was yesterday? Uh, Wired wrote an article, uh, or there was an article in Wired that decided to just like fucking run over me with a truck and say that uh, people compare his work to Yorgos Lanthimos, which is an insult to Yorgos Lanthimos. And it's just, everyone has opinions and that's okay. <laughs> but I just don't, I, I <laughs> uh, what was I, what was I going to say? Like, I, yeah, I, I just content. I want to keep making the stuff that makes me happy and makes me uh, laugh. And uh, it's nice to know that there are like-minded people out there who feel like the same way as me. I think that dual is always funny. And even though it's as dark as like uh, it is, I, I never stop like laughing at it. Uh, so that's, that's always the goal. I want to make things that make me laugh. Well, so what, Riley, what if we say if it's, it's dry, like a nice white wine, how about that? Love that. Yeah. See, Duel is a nice go. white wine. There we go. Russell, go to the letterbox and put that in there and let's start our own debate. It's, it's, a, it's a, a Chardonnay that your grandpa would drink. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. You know, honestly. Um, Words are weird. <laughs> no, people are dumb. <laughs> <laughs> everybody wants to be a critic now and i constantly oh. struggle because we do this show and we talk about movies twice a week and yet at the end of the day i know i'm just an enthusiast and what i like to do is i like to watch movies with people and yeah. you you've given me a great gift with duel it's the rare occasion that i really think duel's a gateway drug and i mean that to like uh, a deeper understanding of film because I now when is Duel out? Is it out already? It, it like technically is out tonight in some places. So we're doing some Thursday night screenings, uh, like in Burbank and in New York. There's one, but uh, tomorrow is the official release day for theatrical. And I don't think that it's going to be as it's it's not as big of a release as Self Defense was, which was around 500 theaters. Uh, I think we're more around the hundred to 150 from what I understand, but it's a very peculiar time to release a movie, particularly an independent film. And a lot of people aren't going back to theaters yet. So I am very happy with where we're at. And I think that uh, RLJE is too, and they know what the market is. So there's the expectations are that this is going to be something that continues to grow. But I'm hoping that the people who are excited about it go see it in a theater because I did, I have seen it now a couple of times with an audience and it's night and day different. Like when you think about people from Sundance, at their house, watching it alone, or with a small group of friends on their TV or on their laptop or whatever. That, that's that's cool that they got to do that, but I am so much of a proponent for the theatrical experience, especially for comedies. And so I hope that people are able to do that with this. Well, you're playing out here in Phoenix, baby. So uh, yeah, I'm doing, yeah, I'm doing I what this. I can to, yeah, I'm trying to you know get the groundwork. I'm passing out flyers after we do wrap up the show. So, you know, we're doing what uh, we can. Can I mention too, so the, the, it's funny that, yeah, I, I had the, 
I had the fear with the trailer for The Art of Self-Defense that it was coming across in a way that I don't think that the movie is. And it's funny that you've echoed that. Like, I was worried... When you start seeing people on Letterboxd saying things like, I thought this movie was going to suck, but I actually ended up liking it, that shows that there was a disconnect in the way that it was presented. And I think that there is an innate nature of uh, silliness of people wearing, like grownups wearing karate gis. And so I'll take that. I know that that image is (laughs) not going to be like the most exciting thing for people to see. And they're going to be like, what the fuck is this? But I do think that uh, when you make something and present it in a way that, tries to sell people on the like slapstickness of it or like like you said the twee-ish sort of cute uh um quirky side of it when there's so much more going there i i I worried that we were going to miss out on that audience like you who might have loved it but then never saw it because of the way that it was sold to them Uh, i'm glad that now people are like you said you guys are going around and telling people about this movie and saying no no and i I think that that's why it's continued to grow and and i think that duel is any in a little different space because we've sold it in a way i like the trailer a lot for duel and i think that it sells the movie uh pretty accurately while I still think it withholds some stuff, which is exciting when you watch and, and more nuanced when you watch. So I I think we're in a good space, but I, again, just think it's going to be one of those things that always has people kind of saying, did you hear about this thing? Like, and then they show their friends. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Well, like I said, it's a gateway drug and with, with everything everywhere all at once, the, the thing about that movie is, you know, there's metaverse stuff going on and it's an action packed film and it's a lot of fun. And then, you know, there's, there's what the movie's really about, which is like, uh, losing your family and like trying to really maintain that even in daily struggles. And at the end of, you know, we saw it at the Alamo and I didn't have the urge to get up and talk to our buddy who, uh, uh, shout out to Terrell. Love you, man. Who adored the film, but I don't think he really got that like underlying, like, you know, the subtext there. And it was kind of heavy handed anyway, but with duel duels, the movie you can completely enjoy. And it's got this rich lore of uh combat with, you know, one thing you're, you're diagnosed as terminal and then you have this gift of uh renewal in life. And then you come back and now you have to like kill your counterpart because no, none of them are ever going to want to be put down. And there's that. And then there's, you know, the subtext there. And I think duel's going to be, Uh, I mean, it's going to be my gateway drug. I can't wait to get a group of people together and watch this film with them and then sit around for two hours after and talk about what they thought and like kind of just deconstruct what you've created here. I can't imagine what your pre-production looked like. Like, how long did you work on this script? Uh, I came up with the initial idea, uh, the very, very bare bone idea, uh, 2016. 2017 was a weird year for me, but I I, uh, wrote half of a short story version of this, which got more in depth to like the science behind the cloning and, and there's more character exploration about certain things, but then other things I developed more for the script. So I wrote half of the short story, uh, put it away temporarily while I was dealing with some stuff and then uh, self-defense got greenlit. So we were, we were off to Louisville, Kentucky to go shoot that, uh, went into the editing process and then finally, when that was all done, I, I picked up and uh, like carted everything out for Duel, picked it all up and drove to San Diego and spent a week there just away from my place here and just like fully focused on writing that script. So I'd been thinking about it for at least two years before I started writing it. And then uh, from 2018 to when we started shooting, so another two years before I actually got to make it or like a year and a half, let's say. And so... Three and a half, or sorry, yeah, no, four and a half, what is it? Three and a half for four years or so of like thinking with this move about this movie. And I am very much a first draft sort of writer, but like the thought that I put into it prior to that, I think is like a draft of its own, if not multiple drafts. So the the final script is is technically a first draft, but the amount of hours I spend thinking about it is like in, in, innumerable. Yeah, it your movie just, it works. Like on every, like whenever we're talking about like film theory and we're trying to deconstruct a film and, you know, I mean, we're all human and stories, it's how we kind of learn life. Usually most movies don't hold up. And I've learned in the past that I kind of like that. Like if you try to figure out what Videodrome's about, you're wasting your time because it, you know, the, the theory in the movie, it fizzles out by the third act. 
yet in your film, it's like, it's not only, it doesn't only work. It just gets better. And like the idea of having more knowledge on the science element, I think would hurt it. Like, I, I love- agree. That's why it's yeah. not in the script. Perfect. I mean, dude, all of your secondary cast, they almost feel like they're uh, like inner projections or something like kind of like uh, when she goes to the doctor, it's almost like she's being her own therapist or something like I haven't really mulled over it yet, but there's, <laughs> there's an interesting way that it's I think it's really the dialogue because you op- we open up with her and she's very to the point and uh, and it just, it feels like, I don't know, maybe I'm in my head too much all day, but I, I, I felt myself in this character and just, you know, what, what is anxiety, right? And it's kind of like what could be or what will be. And I'm like, dude, this whole movie feels like a projection, like a long weekend with nothing to do. And I'm just thinking about all the things I could have done, except, you know, there's a duel in this. I'm, I'm curious, <laughs> where, where did your Sarah character come from? I mean, it's impossible not to write characters with uh, a big basis in me and, and like things that I think and my thoughts and fears like self-defense is very specifically uh, it comes from the place of me trying to figure out who I was as a man and not feeling masculine enough. And I think a lot of men feel that way. Uh, whereas dual similarly, it's like, am I taking enough action in my life? Am I being proactive? Am, am I really making the best version of myself? Uh, or am I letting myself down? And I think that around the time that I was writing the short story version of it, uh, again, going through some life changes and everything, it was impossible not to let those feelings of like uh, despair and, and like complacency uh, overtake me. But I also knew that I could change that. And so I think that dual is not necessarily like a literal translation of life experiences for me, but it's, it's definitely rooted in feelings that I felt. And uh, I think that a lot of people are able to relate to it in that regard, because I'm not saying it's specifically this or specifically that about me. It's just like, this happens to be this very large thing of this uh, like life or death stakes for Sarah. But then we've got the more, I guess, mundane elements of life, the banal elements of life that kind of are, uh, that we all feel are also affecting her and are affecting Sarah's double. I, I my composer, uh, Emma Ruth Rundle, when she watched it for the first time, just like related it to it in a way that I wasn't even expecting, like I hoped. And it was so cool then to see that other people who like, especially director friends who were watching it and giving me, uh, their, their thoughts and notes that they were able to find themselves in the character too. And I was like, they haven't had the same experience as her and I haven't had the same experience as them, but we all relate to it in our own way. And, and that was what I was really after. So uh, yeah, for, for me, it was fully uh, in, influenced by my life and influenced by uh, all of those, those things that are in my head, but I wanted Sarah to exist. Like I didn't want it to be me. Okay. When did you start training? I started training jujitsu in May of 2012. How old were you, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, 26 when I started, 25 maybe. Did you have any anxiety going into it? Like, man, am I, am I too old or like I have yeah. no? Yeah, fully. Like that's a part of what influenced The Art of Self-Defense. Like was me, uh, it was mainly a movie about my thoughts and fears about masculinity. But it also, like there's literally him walking through the door and being like, I don't know if I can do this. And I, it took me three years to walk through the door at the uh, dojo that I started at, or the academy, I guess I should say, that I started at. Um, I drove by it one day while I was working uh, in Glendale at the, on the on the show that I was writing on. And I was like, I'm going to go in there. And then literally three years later, I finally got the courage to walk through those doors. And then once you do, you go, every single other person here is just a normal person. It's not, there's not like fighters here. It's all like a doctor, teachers or lawyers or whatever, parents uh, and all different shapes and sizes and ages. And it really was one of those things where I was like, I should have done this so long ago. Like if I had been, I would have been training for almost 13 years now had I done that, which is crazy. But uh, I'm glad that I did it when I did it. And I always felt like I started too late, but now I'm, I'm 35 and I have people going like, I'm 40. Like, I feel like I'm too old. I'm like, start now. Like, you'll love it. It's so great. Uh, I think that that's something that we all are guilty of is, is not, not taking that uh, action earlier and then regretting it always. 
Yeah, I uh, I kind of felt like I knew where you were going to go with that, but I think I needed to hear it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, people always say, too, they're like, wait, you were 26 when you made your first feature? Oh, my God, I'm so old. Like, I remember when I was 26 making it going like, God, like Spike Lee made his at 23. <laughs> and like, yeah, you just you're always going to compare yourself to other people, which, again, comes back to the movie. It's like in, in our lives, we may not be dealing with a clone of ourselves, but we've got people that we look up to or people that maybe we don't like and we're jealous of how they've gotten to where they are, who they are as a person works in a way that you're you're like finding yourself feeling like jealous of. I, I think that that's super relatable for that reason as well. Yeah. It, you know, man, I, okay. Now that I know that this episode will be out the day that the film's out, I don't feel as bad treading in more uh, details, but I, you know, I, I had a different experience with the movie than uh, Clark and Randy. I'm sure. Cause I'm in, I'm a creature of a uh, commitment and I've, I've been with Oksana for what over a decade now. Right. Even though she still won't marry me. And I don't have her mic on, so she can't defend herself. But, I heard a little chuckle. <laughs> here's the thing. Man, I, you know, every now and then I'll talk to her and I'll be like, you know, we really got to focus on doing things without each other because we literally do everything together. And I'm, I, it, it's almost like this weird like punishment I'm doing with myself because we have a lot of fun doing everything. But I'm like, may, like, some, like I used to work out a lot more. And when I'm, when I'm watching Duel... We have a relationship who, when when we start the film, we get a vibe that maybe uh, Sarah's boyfriend, Peter's cheating on him. Now, there's not a lot of concrete evidence, but it's enough for a regular person to feel insecure. And, you know, she gets diagnosed uh, with a terminal disease that can't be identified. But the clone comes in and seems to be doing things perfectly, even though the clone is very different in like a superficial way. And she takes to training and she becomes so happy while doing it. And I, I just, I know like I've been there too. Like when I'm really trying to lift weights or I'm out there, like actually like hiking. And then, you know, you get to a point where you're kind of happy again and uh, you just kind of fall back into it. And I've never seen that portrayed so tragically on film before. <laughs> and, and, and you know it's funny that people call your movie dry because normally i'm scared like i come in here and i'm a fan of everybody we talk to mostly and i knew you were going to have a good sense of humor and it's just your your movie's dark i wouldn't call it dry it's a fucking dark comedy and uh i agree have you ever done stand-up or anything no it's funny jesse eisenberg uh always tried to convince me that I would make a good sketch writer, like a comedy sketch writer. And it's something I never had an interest in and I never did stand up. I never wrote uh, comedy sketches or anything like that. But I think the thing that he got from self-defense specifically, but dual has it too, is that there's like, you are introduced to specific scenarios. Each scene kind of has its own little story in it. So for example, in this movie, there's uh, a training sequence where they're fighting each other in slow motion. And that feels like a sketch in its own way. And, and in self-defense, you can look at the belt scene, which feels like uh, when he's, he's giving, giving sensei his black uh, casual belt, like that feels like a sketch in a weird way. And they have to, they're sketches that fit within the context of an overall narrative. Uh, but I'd never thought of them that way, but I do think that I write, for scenes uh, to work, they could almost work individually and not literally. I don't think that they fully would, but I think that there's enough there where you could go like, oh, I could see how this could be developed into something standalone if you needed to. Um, but yeah, no, no experience with stand up or anything like that. I, I would be mortified. Dude, you're a hell of a, a comedic writer. Thanks. It's, it's easy to sit down and write something. It's one thing to do that. It's, it's another thing to perform or, um, like when I, when I talk about things, I don't think I'm, I'm on the, on the, uh, like super funny, uh, on a surface level, but I think every once in a while something slips through and I'm like, Oh, good. Okay. That worked. Uh, but I, I find it way easier to sit and be myself when I write. Uh, and I guess it's cause you get time, you get like to think about it. But I also think that I, I just am able to come up with things in my head that are funny to me. And when, but when I'm on the spot, I'm not that same person. It's, it's an interesting thing. So, uh, Riley, uh, I always have an escape plan mapped out of areas to, you know, leave. If I ever have to go on the lamb, you know, things like that. One of those places is Finland. 
Don't ask me why. So how how was filming in Finland? And you know, please, if it was a good experience, sell me on it because I'm looking. I'm shot. I love Finland. I, I shot in a small town uh, outside of Helsinki, like an hour and a half outside called uh, Tampere. And they basically just like rolled out the red carpet for us. And we were the first U.S. production to shoot entirely in Finland. They've wow. had scenes shot there before. But the fact that we were we were like breaking some new ground there uh, was really special for us. And I think it was special for the country. We shot at the peak of COVID. Uh, like I said, we're boots on the ground prepping August of 2020. And the uh, there were no vaccines at that point. We were one of the first productions back uh, in, in, let alone one of the first indies. Uh, so a lot of what we did was completely new and scary. It was always scary. Uh, we were doing our whole like testing every other day, which is incredibly expensive. There's always this weight on your shoulders of worrying, is somebody going to get COVID and then it shuts down the entire production? I think you have to remember where your head was in 2020 as opposed to now. I think we're used to going back into grocery stores without masks and everyone has this certain sense of like security that we've got your booster or whatever it is, or the, the variants are weaker. But at that point... One person gets it and the entire thing just like stops and we maybe would have started again, but the money would have changed, I'm sure, in some way. Uh, so very, very terrifying at all times, but also loved that country so, so much. I went back recently and showed the film uh, in that town uh, for a lot of the people who worked on it and local like film uh, uh, resources and and just like everyone who was involved. And um just remembered how much I loved it. I kind of was like, did I, was I just fond of it because of the experience of shooting a movie there, but I loved the country. And then Helsinki, I didn't spend a lot of time there while I was shooting. I did basically didn't go anywhere because I didn't want to get COVID. So when I finished the film, I spent two days in Helsinki before flying home. And that was enough to go, I'm going to come back here. And then going back recently, I spent probably like three or four days in Helsinki as well. And just fell in love with it all over again. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. I would love to visit there in the summertime because you have days that are like 18 hours long and everyone's just uh, out on the, the water and, and uh, drinking beer or long drinks. And um, the architecture ended up just being so beautiful too. And and really informed the look and feel of our movie because it feels like it could take place in the Pacific Northwest, but definitely does not look like the Pacific Northwest in terms of the way that the buildings are designed. Uh, just really embrace the quirks of that country. I think that it's going to be interesting when it comes out because people aren't going to be able to place where we shot it unless they are from Finland or have been to Finland, but everyone else is going to be like, where the fuck did they shoot this thing? So was the, did COVID have a ha direct hand in ending up in Finland? Yeah, exactly. So the, we were looking at locations. Um, once it became clear that this was not going to be a two week and done sort of thing with COVID, we we started looking at shooting locations uh, in like Vancouver, Toronto, uh, Pacific Northwest in the States. Albuquerque was floated, but I immediately threw that out because I just couldn't see that architecture working in the context of this film. Uh, so specific. And then some other places were floated, but it's still just like the numbers were all incredibly scary. And we even looked at New Zealand, which would have been incredibly expensive. And just you do you quarantine for two weeks and it, it was it was going to be very, very hard going there. Um, and at that point, we were re contacted by XYZ produce the film there. Uh, the financing that they have right now is out of a company from Finland and they suggested XYZ. Have you ever looked at our country? And uh, we we kind of looked into it. We were pitched it. And I said, yes, immediately. It was it was a no brainer for me. And pretty much right after that, I was I was getting ready to leave and go prep in, in that country. So, I mean, were you kind of going for that type of, you know, uh, landscape, you know, greenery trees that sort of was that you sort of you were thinking for the background of the film? Yeah, I if I had uh, if Finland hadn't come along and COVID didn't exist, I would have really pushed for Seattle or Portland uh, to shoot in specifically for that reason. The, the woods and the sort of dreary skies uh, that yeah. you get most of the time. Uh, I don't I, I wouldn't have wanted this film to take place in an area where you just have constant sun like L.A. It, it just wouldn't have suited the mood of the movie. Sure. 
So, uh, yeah, very much liked the look of the country. It's, I mean, Finland's biggest export is wood. <laughs> They're, they've got so many trees that they export wood more than any other country. So, uh, or, or at least more per, per capita or whatever it is. Uh, so that and the fact that they per capita drink more coffee than any other country, uh, I was like, all right, trees and coffee, two of my favorite things. Let's go. Really? Per capita? Yeah, per capita. They are the biggest uh, uh, imbiber of coffee. Oh, well, it's shit coffee, but it's coffee. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they drink like watery coffee, but they drink it all day long. And like you finish a meal and uh, there's all you, coffee is free. So like you finish a meal, you get pizza or something. There's a station and you just go like do the little pressy thing on the dispenser and you, you have a free cup of coffee after after that. So. That's pretty cool. I'm a big cold brew drinker, though, so I, I brought that with me. I, I, my assistant got a coffee shop, a little mom pa place, to uh, brew it for me. When I wasn't making it for myself, I would go in and buy it from them. And I've heard since that it's starting to take off a little bit more. So I like to think that I uh, I brought cold brew to uh, that Nordic country. Changing the coffee culture, man. Exactly. Trying That's to get right. them on the good stuff. Funny, give me very Twin Peaks vibes there. Also, oh, yeah. uh, Randy <laughs> mentioned that David Lynch makes terrible coffee. So thank you for that, Randy. Oh, interesting. I, I, I've heard that the beans are, aren't bad, but I don't know. I haven't had them, so. It's very dark. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Randy, for your contribution. <laughs> also, are we right, talking about the movie or the beans? <laughs> Both. Or Lynch. Both. I like Both. the movie more, though. Okay, oh, cool. beans. I'll take I, it. I know we don't have a video component, but uh, normally whenever we have a guest on, Randy will leave his camera off. Today, he's dressed up in his uh, nicest taxi driver attire and has <laughs> left the camera on the whole time. I am. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm glad that I got to hear his voice. I, I kept thinking this is gonna. There's some, this is gonna pay off. What's what's gonna happen? What's he gonna well, do? Well, while we're here, I believe you know uh, one of my friends, Joey Regoza from oh King Woman. God. From where? King Woman. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah. I was at his uh, his place recently, even. Oh, nice. Yeah, I used to. He's live friends in with uh, Mitch Mitch Wells from Thou, the bass player of Thou, and okay, uh, yeah. I went up there and saw Bjork recently and stayed uh, on his uh, beanbag. Oh, nice. Yeah, I used to live uh, a couple miles away from him in San Francisco and. So I grew fun. up with uh, some of my friends back in California. I'm in Atlanta now. Okay, cool. Yeah, very cool guy. Uh, yeah, that, that is a small world. Yeah. Randy, what are you doing? Why are you turning this into a meat cute or some <laughs> shit? <laughs> I'll tell him oh. you said what's up. <laughs> Dude, now I'm worried. Riley, are you, are you a goddamn hardcore kid? Uh, when I was in high school, I was into like grindcore and um, uh, like, I don't know, I guess, I, I mean, I listened to death metal and, and stuff too. I'm pretty much a, an equal opportunity metal guy. Um, not really a like hate breed type of hardcore guy. I'm not into that kind of stuff. Uh, I can get down with like old, old hardcore, but um, no, I tend yeah, we, to go more like we didn't get uh, hate I mean, breed vibes from you, so you didn't. Yeah, no. Uh, no I'm you, more you like, like uh, old Dillinger Escape Plan was a big thing for me. But my my bigger 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 things like ISIS is probably my favorite band ever. And uh, now, out of bands that exist still that aren't aren't retired, uh, Sumac is is like oh so good. And Mogwai is probably my favorite band like touring and still stuff still. So I'm I'm a, I'm all over the place, but I I do love big instrumentally stuff too rad okay you're more in my territory uh in the past and now you've moved into randy territory i'm glad okay. to know you, where you stand because yeah randy, yeah he's our uh hardcore representative uh who broke edge a couple years ago so that's then, right <laughs> he started uh dosing shrooms and uh now, now we get his uh, best Travis Bickle look. Am I the only one that's seen that? Right when you turn that on, <laughs> I've seen Travis Bickle. Well, are you calling his receding hairline a mohawk? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more the jacket, really. Randy, do you have a gun in there? That's an overshirt. No, 
Yeah, it's just a long sleeve shirt. It's a button down, yeah. button up, whatever you call you it. You don't know your couture. That's no. what. That's all this is. Look what I'm wearing. I, I'm dressed like I'm still in high school, dude. Confirm. Like, you, you said you mentioned couture, and I was my brain immediately went to oh, there's a fighter, Randy Couture. So, <laughs> oh, that's, that's very good, Randy Couture. We did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that really accurately represents Randy, by the way. <laughs> he got into a fight recently with the curb, and uh, he was bloodied up, but he also left some blood on the curb, too, Randy. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. It's a long story. We, we don't have time for that. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, Russ, we got a few more minutes. Anything else for Riley? I don't know, man. Riley, uh, I, I don't know. I feel lame saying it, but I really think you're one of the most interesting, uh, oh, I hate to use this word, but visionary. Like you, you, as a film fan who has a projector in his house and, you know, we started doing this whole overlook thing just as an excuse to force people over to come watch movies with us and kind of think of them in a critical way. Um, you, you know, we really need directors like you. You make thoughtful films that are engaging on a very like like if, if you had a hard day at work and you want to go watch a fucking movie and you want to go to the Alamo and have a beer, dude, duel's perfect. But if you're like kind of like artistically frustrated and you really need something thought provoking, duel's perfect. And you know, we don't get a lot of that. And um I'm I'm glad that my friends like forced me to go watch the artist self-defense. You're welcome. And, uh, yeah, I'm a fan, Riley. And uh I'm I'm happy we got to steal some time from you too. This has been really fun. Yeah. Like I, I it's one thing to answer questions about a movie that I'm proud of and it's another thing altogether to just like talk a little bit more conversationally about things that I'm inspired by and that you guys got from it and everything. So I I yeah, this was so much fun. Well, the well, thing is I I'm, I'm sorry, Clark. I I feel like you're uh you're kindred because I think you know, me, Randy and Clark, we're, we're dudes who love film and we figured out a way to hang out every week and talk about it. Yet we're kind of confronted with the reality that looks like we don't know where film's going to be in the next yeah. 20 years. And even for theaters, we're like fighting to keep them open. And I think it's really easy to keep that fire burning when we have directors like you. Yet at the same time, Clark mentioned I'm contrarian and I, I instantly want to fight everything A24 puts out. Which is stupid because I feel like that's the same wheelhouse here. We yeah, they still put out great stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Marcel the Shell. I'm, I can't wait to watch that one. Dude, it looks so. great. Honestly, yeah, I'm so stoked for. I, I there's. It's hard to be mad at a company for being really good at what they do, and that's yeah. what A24 is. And so I, I think it's like when a band gets really big, and then the original fans go like, "Fuck that band! They sold out." I think that that's happening a lot with A24. It's not their fault. They're just really good at what they do. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually, my complaint is something we talked about earlier, where uh, you were you were worried that your trailers were kind of signaling one thing, and then your movie was another. I feel like A twenty four, they love to dangle out that horror film, and then you get in there and you're like, eh, there's not a lot of horror here. Like, yeah, I, yeah. That's that's my real beef with them. <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, I fucking bought everything they put out for the green night. I went yeah. to lamb. I even wanted to buy that release. I didn't love Midsommar. I bought the director's cut. So I don't know. I just need hot takes, I guess. Well, I promise you that if I ever make a horror film, I won't call it elevated horror. <laughs> we yeah, appreciate that. that. Us, dude. <laughs> but no, before you go, uh, we'd be fools not to. Um, one of the main things we do here is uh, we talk about found footage horror and in-world camera because we run a film fest, the Unnamed Footage Festival. And I'd be amiss if I didn't do my uh, weekly attempt to try and turn you into making some sort of found footage movie or faux documentary. I know you got it in you. The quirky character work, the beautiful cinematography. Like we really need some help in this subgenre. So <laughs> I, I maybe would have to experiment with a short form version first. Uh, if, and maybe if that works, then I could see going, going bigger. It's not a genre that I've felt like I would be particularly good at. Um, but I think that it's because I tend to think of it in the context of documentary and I would be a very, I feel like documentaries are so hard, but then I talked to my friend, David Ferrier, who's, who's a really great documentary filmmaker made a film called tickled and dark tourist on uh, Netflix. And, sure. and he's like, Oh man, 
I could never make a narrative film. So I think that it takes a specific brain to do one or the other. And very few people like Edgar Wright or, or um, I mean, who else they, that are good at both. So I, uh, I, I would love to figure that out someday too. But in the meantime, I'll try to work on the narrative version of that, like a doc, uh, found footage. Oh yeah. You could totally do it. As long as your character is the one crafting the film, it counts. Yeah. So if you ever make a short, dude, we'll send you a waiver. We'll save you that $10 entry or whatever. Amazing. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Riley, uh, I'm a fan for life, dude. Thank you so much for taking the time out to, to hang out with us. You guys have been awesome. This has been a, a really fun interview, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to like more people seeing this movie. And if, if anything y'all do helps that, then I'm, I'm so excited and, and thankful. Duel's out now. Go say it. Thanks, Riley. There you go. I'm so excited and thankful now. Yeah, that's great. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Statt. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.